just a few days ago, on the 4th of May, uh, local to us, not far away from us, on the M58, the police twice had to escort a cyclist who happened to join the motorway. In the first situation, he nearly caused a, a very serious crash because cars were trying to swerve to try to avoid him. He was escorted off the motorway, but he proceeded to once again, for the second time, join the motorway. Uh, he was obviously tested for being on any substances and he, he was clean. And the police were mystified about why this would happen. And it turns out that he was following a sat-nav but actually in the sat-nav settings, instead of setting it up for uh, being on a bicycle, he set it up for cars. So basically he was following the instructions that were meant to be for cars while he was cycling. So a little bit of a stupid thing to do, and uh, certainly it caused a, a lot of hassle for the police, and it could have been quite dangerous for him. And at times, I think things don't always in life turn out to be what they seem to be at the first glance. And in many of our situations in life, we can face that. Very often you can choose a career path and you think this is exactly what I wanted. And sometimes I'm thinking of those who enjoy the wonderful profession of being a teacher. And romantically, they wanted to become a teacher because they loved children. And suddenly when they find themselves in the classroom, they think to themselves, who are these little pests? Maybe that's definitely not all of teachers' experience, but sometimes there can be a disappointment about the career path that you choose. That you think it didn't turn out the way I expected it to. Sometimes it can happen in relationships. People get into a relationship and they, they, they think that the other person is the most wonderful person they've ever met. And at some point the mask drops and a totally different person emerges from under the mask. And they can grab metaphorically speaking, the other person's heart, and they just put it in a blender and put it on blitz and just puree the whole thing. And what seemed to be the most loving person in the world turns out to be pretty unpleasant. Things aren't what they seem to be. I know a good number of uh, friends of mine who as students chose a particular university course as a degree and probably a year into the course, they're thinking to themselves, this isn't really what I signed up for. It's not what I dreamt of dedicating my life to. And they ended up either dropping out or changing the course because things aren't what they seem to be. Sometimes they can be a positive experience. Sometimes you can have a health scare. And certainly in, in, the, in the coronavirus age, many people would have been in the situation where they, they, they had some symptoms and they got really uh, upset and really frightened and it turned out to be either a very mild case of it or not at all. And it's a real relief. Well, the same can be true on a spiritual level. And the story that we just heard read earlier on, the story that is known in the Bible as the story of the young rich ruler or the encounter that Jesus has with his guy, is one of the most well-known stories in the Bible, and it certainly is one of those stories where things aren't what they seem to be. It first starts with a very impressive appearance. This young man, this very successful young man, comes to Jesus, and really, everything about him is impressive. He has an impressive CV. The Bible calls him a rich, young, 
ruler. I mean, in there, in, in just in that three word description, he's so rich. And he tells you all you wanted to know about his CV. He was young, he was successful, and he was a ruler. Likely, we don't know much about any context in terms of where this wonderful CV came out of. One thing is for sure that at a very early age, he seemed to be so impressive by his achievements that were bringing success, probably monetary financial success, and definitely a sense of popularity with those around him because he was known locally as a ruler. So he was a leader. He was in a position of authority. He was also rich and he was young. Now that is a combination that is lethal. He was the most successful yuppie, as my generation used to call them in the eighties, that you could have seen around. He would have been the guy that probably all the young men growing up were trying to emulate. He was probably riding a chariot or riding a horse that everybody wanted to have. He was probably the most desirable son-in-law that all the mothers were trying to get their daughters married to. He was very successful in the CV. He was a young, rich ruler. But he's more impressive than that because his curiosity is impressive. He comes to Jesus himself and he comes with a very respectful attitude. He bows down before Jesus and he's so intentional in this pursuit of spirituality. He comes and asks Jesus this very fundamental question that I guess all of us need to ask ourselves. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, there's something about this question that is so deeply impressive because him being young, being rich, being a ruler, that probably should have been the last question on his mind. When you're young and you're rich and you're a leader, you probably don't think about death. You don't think about eternity. You certainly don't think about spiritual matters. So this man is so impressive because of his curiosity for spiritual matters. And he's intentional about it and he's urgent. He's running to Jesus. So it, it's, it's a matter for him. There's no room for delay. And he wants to find an answer to that deep question. A question about the soul, a question about eternity, a question about afterlife. He's saying, what must I do to inherit eternal life? I don't know what provoked in him that question. Two possible scenarios. One, maybe he was just the kind of guy that liked to get tips in every single part of his life. Maybe he was so OCD about everything being neatly aligned in his life, that he thought to himself, I've got business sorted out. I have got money sorted out. I've got popularity nailed. What else do I need? Well, let's just look into spirituality a little bit. And maybe he wanted to come to Jesus and get some good tips, just in the same way he used to watch his TED Talks and get some expert advice, or he used to sit in on seminars with money-making businessmen successful in his time, he maybe thought, you know what? I can do the same spiritually. I can chase this Jesus prophet, this Jesus teacher, and I can get some really good information about really how I can inherit eternal life. Maybe it was that. Maybe he just wanted a tip. Or maybe, and this can happen very often in our own lives, there is a crisis that provokes that question. Maybe somebody that he loved in his family passed away. 
And that triggered that question about death, mortality, afterlife. And he thought to himself, I've got to figure this out. I've got to find an answer. Whatever it was, his curiosity is impressive. But it isn't just his CV and his curiosity. He's impressive in his character. I mean, this guy had it. Because when Jesus tests him, he answers so well. He passes with flying colors all the questions that Jesus is asking. Now, some of the commandments that Jesus is referring to were very much to do with a horizontal relationship. And he's answering really, really well. Difficult to know what he was being truthful. Could be possible. The Apostle Paul uh, classed himself as being a very righteous man, living according to the law. So maybe this guy had this, in, this incredible level of morality. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe he was just blagging. Maybe he was just used to spin off and, and, and just mix truth and lies in order to make himself look good. Well, we've got no reason to doubt his, his confession, his affirmation, his thumbs up to the questions that Jesus is bringing him. Very difficult to know. One thing is that it looks very impressive. He seems to be a very moral man. He seems to be a man who's taking morality very seriously. And certainly in the eyes of anybody watching and in the ears of anybody listening in that situation, they would have said, wow, this guy is really great. So everything about him seems impressive. Maybe he was just a guy who couldn't bear failure. Sometimes you see those characters appearing uh, on, on The Apprentice. And when they talk about their achievements, you're just thinking, wow, you just don't even exist. You're that good. Difficult to know. One thing is for sure, if you looked on the outside at the appearance of this guy, everything is screaming out, impressive. His CV was impressive. His curiosity in spiritual matters was impressive. His character was impressive. Everything about him seemed to be impressive. And all of us, not knowing the outcome of the story, listening to the story without knowing how it ends, we would have probably sat back thinking, what a great guy. What a wonderful example. I mean, why is he even coming to Jesus? He doesn't even need Jesus. He's that good. Yet probably the only unimpressed person in that situation was Jesus himself. If I would have known the outcome of the story, I would have thought that Jesus would have said to him, you are a, a wonderful, wonderful man. Well, why don't you start following me, being one of the disciples, and I'm making your leader. You can really be the head of finance as, as part of the church, as part of this band of disciples. You can be a, a, a person of authority and influence because you've got it all. You, you're impressive in, in, in your achievements so far. Your CV looks and reads so well. You've got a wonderful character. You've you, you already made it. And certainly you seem to be really interested in spiritual matters. It's interesting how often we as leaders, as Christian leaders and pastors, can be so impressed with something like that. Certainly I might have been very impressed if I would have been in that situation. But there is a really surprising challenge that Jesus brings to him. And my mouth just drops because I'm thinking, wow, Jesus is unimpressed. 
And he's saying to him, there is one other thing that I'd like you to do. And I'm thinking, there's nothing I'd like him to do. This guy is amazing. His CV reads well. He's curious about spirituality. He's got a wonderful character. What else do we want from him? He's as good as perfect. But Jesus sees right through him as he sees right through me and right through you. Jesus is not assessing us at a superficial level. He sees right through us and he sees right through him. And he's saying to him, I've got one more thing I want you to do. And he's thinking, okay, one more thing. Doesn't seem to be very difficult. And it's a threefold thing. It's, it's, it's one issue, but it's a threefold issue. And he's saying, this is what I want you to do. I want you to sell all that you have. I want to give it to the poor. I want you to follow me. One thing is, I'm impressed by your CV. Jesus could be saying. I'm impressed by your so-called morality. Jesus could be saying. I'm impressed by your curiosity. Jesus could be saying. But it's something else. There's one more thing. And Jesus gives him, the, him this surprising challenge. That's a threefold challenge. The key to understanding what Jesus is asking him to do. Jesus is simply saying to him, I want to leave your, your achievements. You see, everything about what Jesus says to him, sell, give to the poor and follow me, is tackling the already impressive achievements that this man has. And Jesus is challenging probably his spotlight. Jesus is saying by you selling all that you have and giving it to the poor, you're basically getting rid of the spotlight, which has to do with our popularity. What brought him popularity, what brought him in the eye of the public, what made him admirable by other people was what he had, his wealth created a spotlight for him. And Jesus is saying, you really want to find the meaning in life? You want to discover what spirituality is all about? I want you to leave your spotlight and I want you to just sell everything that you have and give it to the poor. The source of likes and the number of followers that he might have had was certainly conditioned by the wealth that he had. And Jesus is saying, you've got to let go of that. The second thing that Jesus could be saying is your security. Obviously, it's very simple to understand that the wealth that he had, the rich young ruler, provided a lot of security for him. And I get this and you get this. The money that we have, the things that we own, they provide a sort of attachment that brings us a sense of security. It would have been a kind of situation where he would have said, well, if I'm going to get ill or if I'm going to get old, I've got something to lean on. It's the, the wealth that I have amassed. And Jesus is saying, no, you've got to get rid of that. You've got to re get rid of that sense of security. And actually, it is false security because me and you, we know that money doesn't necessarily bring security and it can vanish just like that. So Jesus is saying, you've got to leave your spotlight, you've got to leave your security, and you've got to leave your satisfaction. Because once again, money for him was bringing a lot of satisfaction. There were a lot of benefits attached to his wealth that were bringing him the satisfaction. So what made him happy in life was being able to use the funds that he had, the wealth that he had, the money that he had, in order to purchase the things that were making him happy, that were giving him satisfaction. In a consumer society, me and you get this. 
Very often, that's the promise upon which marketing really works. Buy me and I'll make you happy. Get that new gadget, get that new service, watch that new thing, listen to that new thing, wear that new thing, and you'll be happy. And momentarily, we probably are. We are very superficial happiness, but then that goes. And it's replaced by buying the next thing, purchasing the next thing. We get this. And Jesus is saying, you've got to let go of that satisfaction. And that's the challenge that Jesus is bringing to him. This isn't primarily about money in itself. It's about the use of money. This isn't about wealth being wrong, but it's the use of wealth. What is this wealth? If this wealth, Jesus is saying to him, is to bring you the spotlight, is to bring you the security, it's to bring you that satisfaction. Well, you can't have me and have that because it's fake. And he brings him that challenge to leave his achievements. The second part of the challenge is not just to sell and to give to the poor, but it's to follow Jesus. And basically, Jesus is saying, until now, you lived for those things. From now on, I want you to live for me. And that would have been an amazing blow to a driven, successful young man like that. Because he could turn around to Jesus and say to Jesus, but you have no prospects. What do you want me to do? What are your stock investments in? How are we going to make more money? How are we going to be more successful? How are we going to get more followers? Tell me, what's your business plan? What's your plan for the next five years? Well, I'm actually going to be crucified. Oh, okay. No, you didn't say that. But it wouldn't have impressed him if Jesus would have really told him what the plan was. But Jesus is challenging him. And he's finding that very difficult. Because he would have said, well, Jesus, where are we going? And Jesus would have said, well, you just follow me, stick with me, and wherever I go, you come with me. Maybe he would have even turned around to Jesus and said to Jesus, Jesus, do you know how much I'm worth? Do you know how much other people are trying to hang around with me so they get a little bit of deflected glory? Do you know that I'm the celebrity that when I go around, people want to take selfies with? What are you talking about? You can't afford me. Who are you? Look at those guys around you, those disciples. Really? Are you kidding me? You want me to hang around with them? But that's what Jesus is asking him. He's asking him, let go of everything in your life that's basically your God and start following me as your God. And that's an incredibly difficult challenge, a surprising challenge that Jesus gives to him. And what's really shocking about the contrast from the beginning of this episode and the end of this episode is that actually I'm shocked because the ending is pretty sad. Most of the Jesus encounters are wonderful, beautiful stories of positive change. There are happy endings. This isn't one of them because this man turns around. And because he's clinging to his wealth, he still wants to be God in his life and he wants his wealth to be the God he worships. He's basically rejecting Jesus's fantastic invitation because he just can't see it. And he chooses to walk away from this incredible opportunity. I'm shocked and surprised that he does that. I would have thought savvy, switched on, businessman he would have seen the opportunity and snapped it but he doesn't he's blind to it because all he could see 
was he his satisfaction his wealth him being the boss in his life he just couldn't let go of himself and the other thing that really surprises me is so how Jesus doesn't negotiate. Jesus doesn't go running after him. Jesus doesn't say, hey, I didn't really mean it like that. Um, can we barter? Can we just discuss about this? Can we negotiate? Can, can, can you just, um, let, let's just say out of the three things, maybe you do the one of them or one and a half. No, Jesus doesn't run after him. And there's this... Uh, Incredible shock of a man with a bruised ego walking away from the opportunity of his life. And although he seems to have everything and gotten everything right until now, he gets it terribly wrong. And then equally shocking and surprising is the fact that Jesus doesn't run after him. I love the words of C.S. Lewis. If you find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy the most probable explanation is that probably you and I, we were made for another world. That longing that maybe this young ritual had in his heart is in the heart of humankind. Those moments when we wake up with a dissatisfaction of the life that we live right now, we maybe people from the outside looking in envying us and thinking, wow, you've got it all. You've got everything. While well, we know there's something missing. Maybe that which seems to be missing is exactly what C.S. Lewis is talking about. It's the fact that we were made for another world. It's the fact that here and now, with all its toys and trinkets, really aren't what it's all about. But there's another world, another dimension, another spiritual side that we need to understand. You know, this young rich ruler had a choice. And the same choice is being played before us again and again and again. And Jesus would give the same invitation, maybe in different terms. He would bring different details to that invitation. But the same invitation is coming to all of us who are saying, I get what C.S. Lewis is, is writing about when he's talking about that, that sense of there's a desire that doesn't seem to be satisfied. And maybe it is about another world. And Jesus would be putting the same choice before us. And he's saying, look, are you willing to live? Live behind all that is your security and your selfishness and everything that is built around wealth or your own ego. And are you willing to follow me? Let go of that and follow me because that's the choice. And let me be really, really honest with you. It, it's really clear in this passage that Jesus invites, but he doesn't negotiate. I can't turn around to Jesus and say, hey, yeah, well, you know, I'll do a part time following and I'll maybe just keep a little bit of, you know, the security from the money and a little bit of the popularity that I really crave and mix it up with a little bit of you, a bit of me, a bit of you. Jesus doesn't negotiate on those terms. Jesus is saying, you're either all in or you're not in. It's the same invitation and the same choice that comes to all of us. You know, the truth is, we could be impressed ourselves with our achievements, just like this young man with a career that we might have and a character that we might have and even the spiritual curiosity that we might have. 
But in the eyes of Jesus, although other people might be impressed, we might be impressed with ourselves. In the eyes of Jesus, he would say, that's not what it's about. That doesn't impress me. What I'm looking for is your heart and you being in a relationship with me and you beginning that journey of following me for the rest of your life and letting me be your savior and your king. What Jesus is looking for is not simply people who are interested, but people who are committed whole life. And that's how we experience the fullness of the life as a disciple of Jesus. Those who start on the journey and they're kind of interested, but they're not committed. They don't get the fullness of everything that is available. And sometimes they feel like the Christianity they've embraced is not really that good. And it is because they've embraced the watered down version of it. And Jesus is calling us to the full thing. And following him brings that incredible satisfaction. Listen to the words of Jesus saying, Mark 8, 35. Whoever would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross. That's an invitation that's tough. But it's so deeply satisfying and it brings so many beautiful guarantees with it. He talks about freedom. It sets us free from sin and guilt and shame. It brings a fullness and a sense of meaning to our lives. It brings a fearlessness about eternity. We don't fear eternity when we have Jesus and a relationship with him in our lives. Some of you might have heard this before. Somebody compiled a whole list of incredible actors who missed out on incredible opportunities. Apparently, when Ben-Hur was being shot in 1959, Burt Lancaster was invited to be the lead and he turned it down. And Charlton Heston took it and he won the Academy Award. What a loss for Burt Lancaster. Sean Connery was a favorite to play Gandalf in The Lord of the Rings. And again, he turned it down. He, he kind of laughed at the plot and he thought to himself, I don't think I'm going to do that. And obviously the, the role wasn't his. So Ian McKellen took the role and, you know, the success. The rest is history. What a loss to Sean Connery. Ewan McGregor and Will Smith were offered to play Neo in the Matrix. And again, they didn't think he was gonna make any money. They didn't think he was gonna make them popular. And Keanu Reeves, who's possibly not as gifted as an actor as the other two took the role. And it made him an incredible icon because of the movie. You know, all these examples I gave to you were of incredible opportunities given to people who turned them down. Just like the story of this young rich ruler. My prayer is for every single one of us that we would not make that mistake. And you know, me and you can make that decision right here, right now, of actually surrendering our lives and saying to Jesus, look, I get what you're offering. It's an incredible offer. The freedom from sin, the fullness of life, the fearlessness in the face of death. Wow, nothing and no one could ever offer anything like it. And in exchange, I'm offering all the stuff in my life that I think is great and successful and it brings satisfaction in exchange for following you for the rest of my life. 
And you can make that decision. You can make that choice right now. My prayer is that you will do that and you'll be able to start this incredible journey with him. I gave an invitation last week and I'm going to repeat it in a very simple way because I think it's the best way I know I can explain to somebody how they can start following Jesus. It's just like a new player that signs for a new sports team. And the steps that it often do in this is pretty simple. Very often a new player would sign for a new team and they will end up with the owner of the club or the manager alongside them and he will sign a contract. And it's the same thing you can do this morning after we finish this. You can just sit down or kneel down or stand up or walk out and just pray in your own words to Jesus and say, Jesus, I, I want to give you my life. I want to follow you. I want to leave the stuff behind and I want to start on this journey of discipleship. And then just like the prayer joins the team. So he's not just simply signed a contract, but he joins the team. I'm encouraging you to join the team. The team is the church, the body of believers, other disciples and followers of Jesus. And you get connected with them. And then you train. You need to train in order to be in good shape as an athlete. Same way. And we want to really work at encouraging you how to pray, how to read the Bible. The things, are the tools of the trade for a disciple of Jesus as you learn to walk with him. And then very often... Uh, you know, it ends up with the most beautiful thing when the sportsman or sportswoman begins to wear the shirt of the team they play for. And that's what we're encouraging you to do, is to actually show the world, tell other people, this is who I am, I'm a follower of Jesus, and I want you to be as excited as I am to be part of this journey. My prayer is that you would take those steps. They're an incredible opportunity that Jesus is giving to us right here, right now.